Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another mini episode of Dear Prudence. I am your host, Danny M. Lavery, and this show is for you, our Plus subscribers. Our guest this week is Avery Truffleman, the host of the podcast The Cut from New York Magazine, as well as Nice Try, a podcast from Curbed about utopian experiments. And now here's our first letter. Okay. Uh, uh, This almost feels like easy is too strong. uh, Oh, uh, A phrase. (laughs) But like... I don't know. Straightforward, maybe. Anyways, the I can hear your response in my head, but oh, good, good. I look forward to hearing your version of my response oh, and then your version okay. of your response. All right, all right, all right. Subject is just come home, dear Prudence. Two years ago, our twenty-five-year-old daughter Kelly came to us crying that her husband was cheating on her. They'd only been married for a year, but things had always been rocky. We told her she should get a divorce so we would pay for a lawyer and she could come home to get her life sorted out. Kelly refused. My husband warned her that this was a time-sensitive offer. We had plans to sell our house and retire to the country so we wouldn't be able to help her like this in the future. We begged Kelly to have some sense and keep a savings account separate from her husband. Now she is pregnant and just threw out her husband for cheating again. He responded by draining all of their bank accounts. Kelly quit her job when she found out she was expecting and has no income. She calls us crying every day. We retired last year. We have enough money to pay Kelly's car loans for the next few months, but she keeps begging for more. She blames us and says her baby is going to be born on the streets. It's frustrating because Kelly refuses to relocate. We apparently live, quote, in the middle of nowhere. My husband has stopped talking to Kelly and says he will buy her a bus ticket when she gets desperate enough. I love my daughter and I hurt for her, but part of me is also tired of her not taking responsibility. She is going to be a mother. Oh, poor Kelly. All right. Do you want to do your version of me first or your version of you first? <laughs> well, first, I'm hung up on this one thing of like my husband has stopped talking to Kelly and will buy her a bus ticket when she gets desperate enough. What is the metric of that? What are they waiting for? Like, I don't under- I don't understand when they expect it to be to be bad enough. I don't know. Yeah, that to me felt like he was so frustrated at having the same conversation that he was just like, I don't know how to do this. So my only my only option now is to like not engage and just to hope that time and, and desperation will take care of that, which I don't know. Do you, do you think that's going to be very effective? I genuinely don't know. Like, I don't know if that's going to work or not. I don't know. I mean, this gets back to the utopian fantasy. I'm just like, give Kelly a bus ticket. Let her, you know, I don't know. That's what I I want for them. I want Kelly to be able to come home and them all to find a way to be together and find happiness and live together without expecting people to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. I just feel like that's capitalism ventriloquizing through family love. You know, I just don't understand why it's more important that Kelly, quote unquote, like get her act together rather than, you know, have a healthy childbirth together. But I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I I think I felt some of that too. Like when, of course, when I read this letter, you know, there's part of me that's just like, yeah, kick him to the curb. But it's also true that like, 
I can understand why, even if you were devastated to learn that your husband was cheating on you after the first year of marriage, why a person might choose to try to stay and see if things could change. Yeah, um, totally. I, I might not make that decision, but I can understand <laughs> why somebody would. And I don't think it's just they don't know how to take responsibility. Like, that's devastating. And you want to believe that your partner loves you and isn't going to cheat on you a year into being married. So, and I can also understand why she's like, I I don't want to like pick up and move and and just go give birth at my parents' house. Like, um, again, I, I don't think a lot of her strategies are good right now, but I also really do understand why she's upset. To me, the thing that's the most important is like the fact that he drained all the money out of their bank accounts mm. after cheating on her. She needs to be talking to a lawyer about this because there's, depending on what state they live in, you know, the, the family court may be able to like review the value of their property, uh, which includes the the joint bank accounts. Um, the, the, the judge might have the authority to divide the funds equitably. He might get penalized in the divorce, both for the cheating. Well, I, not really. There's not many states left where, where that's going to happen. Um, but he could certainly, uh, you know, get in trouble for having pulled all that money out. And so I don't think Kelly needs to take that as a done deal. So I get that it's hard to motivate somebody to do that when they don't want to. But I think the thing to really stress is, you know, talk to a lawyer about getting that money back. That is your mm. best bet. Um, and really, really stressing that with her. Um, and even if that means sometimes phone calls get a little repetitive, and even if that means sometimes she cries and you don't immediately like rush to make her feel better, I think you just really, really stress. I will I will help you find a lawyer. I will help you set up that consultation. But I am not a family law expert. I cannot get you that money back. Yeah. And as long as you just keep saying that, I, my hope is that eventually she will say like, okay, that's my only way to get money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel so. I mean, Kelly's only 25 also, and she's just gone through. It sounds like she's gone through the ringer emotionally and economically and everything. And I understand that, you know, this 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 writer wants Kelly to be able to fend for herself, but also like Kelly clearly needs some love and support. And yeah, I think helping her find a lawyer is a great way to go about that. Yeah. And then beyond that, she's she's not going to give birth in the street. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think you can remind yourself of that, even if there's moments where it feels like that's going to happen. You you have already made it really clear that if she's not able to make anything else work in her city, that you will get her transportation to come be with you. So, like, let that be kind of your center when she's flying off into speculation and fear and anxiety. And just remember, like, nobody's going to give birth in the street. And I think that will help you choose, like, when is a moment that I think I can usefully engage? When is a moment where I need to say, like, I love you, but I, I can't I can't listen to you cry about this again right now, which is hard to say lovingly, but I think possible. Yeah. And then also maybe really just, like, here is the lawyer. I will be on that first phone call with you. Um, yeah, and trying to figure out for yourself, where do you have to draw the line? And again, it's really hard because there's a baby about to come and I don't imagine any of this is going to get resolved beautifully in the next three months. So you should also prepare yourself for some fraught baby stuff. So, Although I am heartened that the subject is just come home, that, you know, I have the feeling that if Kelly did yeah. decide to, I mean, it's hard. It's hard to swallow your pride and like move back home with your parents, but I am heartened to right. 
assume that if Kelly were to, you know, make that leap, that she would be welcomed and supported, which, you know, at the end of the day is like, okay, if that's the worst case scenario, that's a great scenario or that's it's a good scenario. Right. Even the dad who's really upset with her right now, he's just like, I don't want to keep fighting about this, but I will get her a bus ticket when the time comes. That's like, okay, you could work with that. So really, though, the lawyer needs to help her get that money because it's, you know, if the two of them were married and she quit her job and that was something they both decided so that she could raise the kid, I, I think there's really good reason to believe that a court would get her not just child support, but but some uh, some more of the marital funds that he siphoned off for himself. So, Ugh, trash. I know. It's it's such a yeah. Shame he's the too. worst. He's the worst, and I just feel like this is also just America being the worst. I mean, there are so many places where different generations live together in one house and it's not a source of shame. It's totally fine. And I just feel like this is, uh, yeah, American bootstrapping, pulling everyone apart that like she's supposed to have it all figured out and have her act together when so she's just been pummeled over and over again. So it's sad. I'm just really sorry. Good luck. All right. You get to read this next letter. Okay. Subject, worried about neighbor's dog. Dear Prudence, I live in an older apartment building where most of us leave our windows open on nice days. I play the radio a lot because we can't help hearing one another. I have some relatively new neighbors who recently got a puppy. We typically smile and say hello, but that's about the level of our interactions. Their apartment is very small, and I don't think they know how to train her. She's young and energetic and barks a lot, and I'm pretty sure they hurt her to get her to stop. She'll suddenly stop play barking to yelp and howl piteously. I know dogs yelp and howl without being hurt sometimes, but this doesn't sound like that. I am certain that they have hit her. They shout about what a bad dog she is, and yesterday I heard one of them yelling that she was spiteful. She's just a puppy. I looked up the anti-cruelty hotline in my city, but then I realized that it's attached to my city's police force. This couple is black, I'm white, and my city's police are pretty notorious for unnecessary use of force on people of color. I'm also aware that white people tend to default to calling the police too easily. And I've had black friends talk with some bitterness about how white people seem to find it easier to care about animals than black human beings. Further complicating matters is that I've heard the man and the couple hurl some pretty vicious verbal abuse at the woman. I don't want to try to help the dog and have it blow back and put the woman in harm's way. I even ordered a new book on dog training through positive reinforcement and put it in my building's free library area. Someone took it, and things seemed to settle down for a week or so, but it has started again. They've been hostile to other neighbors who asked directly about the dog. Calling the anti-cruelty hotline effectively calls the police and may result in harm coming to the woman. But I can't stand the thought that they're hurting that dog, and I'm sitting here doing nothing. What should I do? Oh, man. So this one, I actually asked a friend for help who works in animal intake, um... In a, in a very, in a big city, uh, in an mm-hmm. overcrowded shelter. And I was like, are there alternatives? You know, there must be a number for people to call that aren't the police. And they were basically like, my friend Spike gave this response that I thought was really smart. And they were like, well, what does this person genuinely want? Are they just trying to save the dog? Because they could get another another dog, you know? Is this about their own guilt? Is this about getting this this woman in a safe space? Like, what does this person want to actually accomplish with this and i can't quite tell what they want i i think that that 
I'm glad that your friend pointed that out because to me, the 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 most significant two lines in that letter are, I know that sometimes white people care more about animals than black people. Yeah. And then there's this little aside of like, oh, and I think he might be abusing the woman. Yeah. And the whole letter is about the dog. And um, I just, letter writer, I want you to go back and look at your letter and I want you to read those two sentences next to one another. And I just want to point out how much time and energy and attention and focus in your letter is about what you think might be happening to the dog, different types of Yelp that you think you're able to distinguish between. And then just like, oh yeah, and by the way, I think he's probably abusing her too. It sounds pretty rough. Yeah. And um, as much as you can, I think you need to say, um, this is one of those times. This is one of those times where I don't want to think this of myself. It might go against my sense of what my values are. But in this moment, I am so much more focused on a dog than on a human woman. And the dog is getting almost all of my energy, attention, concern, and the woman's not getting any. And you need to flip it. And that doesn't mean you don't care about the puppy. That doesn't mean you don't worry about the puppy. But give all the attention you've just given the puppy to your neighbor. Also taking into account the fact that the police are not necessarily going to be your first or best or ever option here. And think about what am I willing and able to do to be useful to this woman? And do it if you can. And don't make her life worse. If the best thing that you can do with this letter is that you don't make this woman's life worse, do that. That is good. That is good enough. Mm. Oh, it's um, so but hard, if you take though. any steps towards, it is, I get that. And again, I, I'm not saying like, it sounds like the puppy's doing great. But when you when you have neighbors who you don't know very well, and you think they're hitting the dog, and you know that he's screaming at and threatening the woman, you, you you focus on the person. You focus on the person. And 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 maybe that just means introducing yourself to her, developing a little bit more of a friendly relationship with her. Again, if you think that you're not going to be able to do that without being snide or condescending uh, about her life or her dog, as always observe the don't make her life worse rule, but um, maybe look for ways to just get to know her better so that she is a little bit more aware of your proximity and your closeness and and spend some time, I think, thinking about how you are ranking value and humanity when it comes to to race and racism. I think that that's going to be the best advice I have here. I don't think I have anything else on this one. It's a complex, hard answer about the need for material support and mental health support and community support. And um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And thinking like, okay, I know that this thing is a problem. I don't think it's what I'm doing. And then getting to, okay, the thing that I know is a problem, but I didn't think I was doing, I actually am doing. And I don't want to admit that because then it makes me think that I must be a jerk and a bad person. And I don't want to be a jerk and a bad person. And and that, I think, defensive cycle can often stop a lot of white people from ever dealing with racism and specifically anti-blackness. Yeah. And so I think if you can kind of just remind yourself, like, that's actually part of the cycle. Um, I, it does not mean I have to throw myself off of a cliff. I can deal with and process and work against my own racism. It is possible to take steps to overcome it or work through it or, or not do the things that it tells me to do. Um, and, and that is an area where you can make real change. And, and that's a good thing. Um, 
there's, there's something useful on the other side of the defensiveness. That's our mini episode of Dear Prudence for this week. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. As always, if you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. 